Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. So just in essence that like you are some kind of human being with some sort of personality and essence and vibe and whatever else you could call it to you. And the things you do, actually, it has no implications on your humanness. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, this is Adam Marks. I'm a tech founder, writer, and consultant, and I've been listening to The Women in Tech podcast for about three and a half years now. Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world. And one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality every time we go into the boardroom, every time we look for co-founders, every time we look to hire employees for our companies. So support representation and equality, support the Women in Tech podcast, follow me at Adam Marks. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Hi, I'm Esprit Deborah, host of the We Are LA Tech podcast, born and raised in LA. Together, we are unifying and celebrating the Los Angeles tech community. Join us. Half the people walked in and walked out. They didn't even want anything to do with me. There is literally nothing that's standing in the way except yourself. The partner came to us and said, hey, I'll give you a million bucks right now. This is where I've always wanted to be, Los Angeles. Subscribe to We Are LA Tech wherever you get your podcasts. 13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And remember to always look for the orange sunglasses. Today's personal spot is a little tip on some great sites that if you want to delegate some of the administrative tasks off your list or even some portions of your creative projects, these are sites as I wake up with my raspy voice this morning (laughs) that you may really value knowing about. So one you may have heard of is Fiverr. Fiverr is people around the world doing all sorts of projects from music creation to writing to SEO to, I mean, it's endless, the kind of 
catalog of projects that Fiverr contractors can fulfill. So check out Fiverr and we'll include all the links in the show notes. The next one is Upwork. Upwork is a great site to also find contractors around the world. With Upwork, you can see reviews of other people who have worked with them. Another great, great virtual assistant site that I absolutely love is Fancy Hands. Check out fancyhands.com. This is personal assistants based in in the U.S. who do tasks for you in 20-minute increments. It's absolutely amazing. And if you're looking for interns to work with you, there's a great site called Acadium. Acadium is great. It's for marketing interns. Um, You just go to Acadium, you look through a catalog of interns, and you start interviewing the ones that you think would be the best fit for you. I highly suggest always when you're hiring for a project, doing a test project to see the deliverables, like just a small little test project that's paid to see the deliverables each contractor can provide to make sure that you're getting the results that you're looking for. All right, hope that helps, and I'll see you in the next episode. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest, Mia, coming at us outside of Boston. Hello. Hi. So excited to have you on your show. We had your mom on the show, and I asked as a special request if we could feature you. I'm really, 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 really excited to have you on the Women in Tech podcast. Why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, and tell us a little bit about who you are and what your interests are. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Mia. I live just outside of Boston. I'm a senior in high school right now. Um, I'm planning to go to Wesleyan University in Connecticut in the fall, for those that know it. And I really want to study neuroscience there, maybe with a minor in biology, definitely on a pre-med track. I'm really interested in going to medical school and seeing where I go from there. Yeah, that's kind of the basics. I love the brain. I love all things medical. I did some coding, actually, a couple of years ago, which wasn't my favorite, but it was definitely an interesting experience. And yeah, I tutor kids in math. That's also sort of a women in tech thing, um, which I which I really really love. Actually, I tutor elementary school kids, and it's it's awesome. And so, yeah. to give a frame of reference, some have listened to the episode with your mom, and some haven't. Who is your mom, and uh, why are you so inspired by her? My mom is the coolest person I know. That's just the first introductory sentence about her. Her name is Natalie Kogan, and she used to run a company called Happier, now has a brand that is her name, Natalie Kogan. Um, She's written two books, Happier Now and The the Awesome Human Project, which is coming out next next week. Um, She speaks and teaches and does workshops on self-compassion and emotional well-being and how to be a better leader and how to be kinder to yourself and all these amazingly wonderful things, all backed by neuroscience and science and She's awesome. So I want to ask a a unique question that I've never asked before to start because it's something that comes up a a lot with moms who have led companies. They feel guilty being a driven businesswoman and being a mom in tandem. Um, You and your mom have such a great relationship. She's been such an inspiration in your life. How has your mom being a, a driven businesswoman positively influenced you and the intent of the question is so all those moms feeling guilty that they're 
you know, working, they can do it in a way that is a positive for their child. I have two main points on that sort of aspect that moms really shouldn't feel guilty. The first is that, especially as a girl with a mom that is such like a leader and such a, what you would really call like a woman in power or, you know, you could just say a powerful woman. She is 100% always been and always will be my number one role model because I see how driven she is and how much she has not only achieved outside of herself, but within herself in sort of her whole being being in business and running a business and the whole the, that whole thing so seeing how she has grown and made that work and like balanced everything in her life and so just without her even trying to she has been my number one role model for as long as i can remember and it's because of the work she does and the type of woman that she is On your journey becoming a woman in tech yourself, when did you first discover technology and why did it interest you? Technology and STEM. I I think I first discovered it. Gosh, I don't remember how old I was. Maybe 12 or 13. I no younger. I maybe 11. I was um, I did this. I don't I don't remember what it's called. This six week, like every Saturday I would go to MIT. So Massachusetts of Technology, I would go there and I was taking these two classes. Of course, I don't remember what they were, but they were very like STEM tech related. And so that was my first introduction where from there I actually started taking like computer science and coding classes, computer programming. Then I sort of pivoted and decided that wasn't really for me, but that was kind of my first introduction. And I actually did some girls who code stuff. MIT did like a girls, like a girls coding type of camp, which was actually awesome. Even though I didn't love the coding and the programming part so much, it was a lot of girls that were like really interested and driven in the same ways that I was. So props to MIT for that and girls who code and the other types of organizations. But yeah, that was my, my intro to that and how I sort of got on the STEM tech path. We have a very similar journey in the sense that I found these college programs as well when I was in high school and younger. How did you discover the MIT, that MIT was even accessible to you to take, forget what it's called, uh, it's a, an extent, it's called an extension program or something, right? Yeah, I think, I wish I could, I, if I can look in my email, I'll find the name of it. Something like Splash or some kind of thing like that, like Stream. Like the, it was like these, these programs that they would advertise for high school and younger students. And how did you find it? I'll be honest with you, it was my mom. My mom really wanted me to, to try out coding, try out some tech stuff. And she found these, these like programs for me and urged me to do them. When she first showed you the pro, did you have like organic interest or were you like, all right, mom, I'll see what this is about? Absolutely. The latter absolutely <laughs> was like, okay, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like and a piano lesson or something. And same thing. Yeah. yeah. The funny thing about that comparison you just made is I play piano and it definitely used to be like that with piano. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And now I love it. So we've ended up in the same way with STEM and tech that initially I didn't, wasn't really super into it. And now I'm, it's what I want to do with my life. So. Do you happen to remember when you were at MIT, those first moments where you're like, oh, this is really cool. I want to do this. 
um, we were actually playing, I think it's called Scratch. I believe it's called Scratch, the super basic, like, not not even coding or programming yet, but you have sort of like blocks that represent lines of code and you can like put them together to make little characters move on the screen. That was the first time where I was like, this is awesome because of the community that I'm in. Like I, I was sitting with this girl. I, I mean, I guess I won't say her name, but I remember who she was. And we were sitting next to each other and like all of a sudden she just started helping me. And like saying like, oh, you should make him do this. And so then we started working together and it was just this this natural thing that was going on. We were forming this kind of community through tech and through STEM. And I just thought that was so cool. And I knew that I could find it throughout that whole field. And it was just that. Yeah. So that would be my first moment. Yeah. And who are the people that you look up to, uh, whether they're mentor figures or authors or bloggers? I mean, I've said this. I'll say my mom first. Um, <laughs> Listen, just, I look up to your mom too. Your mom is amazing. <laughs> she is. She's just incredible. Like I can, I can, I can never stop talking about her. I mean, I talked to my gym teacher at school about her. It's just, I could go on and on and on. But anyway, it's interesting when I was interviewing your mom and and um and you came on the screen at the end and I asked if it was you know if it was okay if I interviewed you and. What I really found inspirational about you is you had no reservation about speaking your truth. I asked, you know, would you like to be on just you or would you like it to be you and your mom? And you said, I'd like it to be just me. And the way you said it was so confident and so um, unapologetic. The reason why I find that so inspiring is it's something that I'm continually working on for myself. And so for you to get that at 17, I'm like jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though, I definitely, it is something I'm working on to just not be apologetic or not be reserved about things that I really want that don't hurt anybody else and will only benefit me and not sort of being reserved about like saying those out loud, even if I'm not sure the other person will like it. Like I was standing there, I was like, maybe she wants to do it with me, but I don't, I want to do it by myself. And then, so I just said it and then it was all great. And so, you know, it's just, I, I keep trying to do that where I'm not reserving what I think will benefit me for someone else. I'm curious, have you ever had or have you yet had the experience where you've spoken your truth and someone hasn't been pleased with it? And if so, how did you handle that from an identity standpoint? I mean, this is something, like I said, I'm continually working on. So I'm just so, I'm so impressed. I mean, it does happen with kids at school a lot, which this is kind of a funny example because the times that it has happened, I can't remember that many of them were like with people who I was really attached to or like really knew very well. So it was pretty easy to sort of disconnect and be like, whatever they think about me, I don't really care because I wasn't close to them or anything like that. But, you know, with my mom, there, there are times where I'll sort of say like, no, I want to do this thing or this thing, even if it's just like a little thing, like she says, oh, let's go do something this weekend. And I say, no, I have plans with my friends. Like, I want to do that. There, that is when I start to feel really guilty because not that I feel like I have an obligation, but I can see that she's upset and I don't know how to disconnect from that, even though she wants me to go and have fun. 
And so my mom always says the way that people react to the things you say is usually a reflection on themselves Mm -hmm. and has nothing to do with you. 100%, but so hard. 100%, but so hard. (laughs) And so in a non-negative light, you know, my mom gets upset because she loves me and she wants to hang out with me. But that's her. It's not, it's not that she's upset at me. Mm. So that's, I just sort of try to think about that. Like, she's not yeah. upset with me. She's I've just never that. thought about something that way before. That's so clutch. It's not at you or with you. It's just their feeling. And you causing that, it's not, you're not at fault for something. People will react in unpredictable ways sometimes, or just you don't even know what they're going to get sad by or angry by or angry about. That's not under your control unless you were, you know, outright rude or said something that you knew wasn't a good thing to say. If you're speaking, let's say you're speaking your truth or you're just speaking neutrally or, you know, it's just saying something honestly, but kindly, and they react badly, that's a reflection on them and not a reflection on you. Wow. Wow. I mean, I don't want to make an assumption about perspective. So apologies in advance for the, for the advanced assumption. But I feel like someone who's 17 can only have so much perspective because you're 17 and that you have figured this thing out or at least deep in the process of figuring it out at 17 to me blows my mind (laughs) because I feel that most of us, if we ever figure it out, figure it out way later. I'm in such admiration that you are owning your voice, speaking your truth unapologetically, even if you're still in the process of learning how to do that, having even the the wherewithal of people at school that maybe you're not as close with of what they think of you and detach from that. And thank goodness you think that way, because I can't imagine being in school with social media. That would just be my nightmare. It just really blows my mind. It it just blows me away. I'm really excited for you. So I don't know if you could have perspective about how extraordinary that is, but it's extraordinary. Thank you. I think I do have perspective because I learned it from my mom, a lot of what what I was just talking about, and she figured that out, I don't know, five years ago. So that's where my perspective comes from. Interesting, which is, again, another for all the parents listening. This is another great parenting tip. Okay, let's get into your dreams. What do you dream for yourself? If you could have anything in the world come true professionally, what would that be? Ooh, that is such a good question because I have so many like way out there further in my future goals. I think I would have to say that I end up at the, I'm not going to say the my top choice medical school. I'm going to say the best medical school for me, that that's where I end up and that I don't go crazy with trying to like get into my first choice and those kinds of things, because that's not always going to end up being the right choice. But that's what I would say, because I know that after those four years, so many doors will open for me in the ways that I want them to. Like whether I want to go on to do a residency and a fellowship or whatever that might be, or I don't know, go and work for two years and do something else and then become a doctor, you know, whatever, whatever I choose to do. I know that once I go to medical school, I feel like it's just an endless world of opportunity. 
And you will be in school forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I will be in school forever. But I like what I hopefully will like what I'm learning because like I do really enjoy sort of biology and those kinds of things right now. So that's the part of school I like. So, you know, hopefully it's (laughs) just an endless, (laughs) endless tunnel, endless school cycle in your journey as you've gone through school. What has been a really huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome in order to pursue your your dream career? I don't want to sound pretentious when I say this, and I don't think I will because it's true and it's just honest. <laughs> Most of my school career, so I'm I'm talking like elementary, middle, and then like the first year of high school, particularly in math, but also like most other subjects, I didn't really have to put in a lot of effort to do well. Like, I mean, I was like in middle school, I was just turning in assignment, homework assignments and doing the stuff in class and getting all A's. And it was just sort of a coasting type of thing. I was not, I didn't really have to put in a ton of effort. And so I will funnily enough say that it started with when we started geometry in ninth grade. And I was like, I don't understand any of this, where I began this three-year process of of learning how to learn. And it, it, it was like my big culmination of that this year in AP Bio, AP Biology, where I really had to learn how to learn in class and also learn extra outside of class because that AP biology, it, I needed tons of supplemental material and I needed to be able to take it all in and learn how to do that and learn how to not just memorize, but understand certain processes in the body and all these kinds of things. And so yeah, that that's, yeah. That, that's cool, <laughs> learning how to learn. So while you're going to school, Mia, are you also working or are you just going to school? I would say I work. What I would say my job is like I tutor kids in math and it's only a couple times a week. It is like consistent on a weekly basis. It's these same families. I, w- I would consider that my job, but I like I love it so much. I kind of forget that it's like work, <laughs> which I think is kind of cool. What makes you love it? I'm a people person is sort of the overarching thing. So I really just make such an effort to form connections with all these different kids. And it just brings me so much joy, I guess, or like purpose when I see that each week when they're coming back on Zoom or, you know, before COVID when like I'd come back into the classroom, that they're just a little bit like more excited to see me. And that they're a little bit more ready to do something that even though Moses, I don't think I've ever met a child that likes math, even though they don't like it, they come in, they're they're excited to talk to me. They're excited to maybe learn or do something new. Or they say like, oh, what questions are you going to give me today? Like, what games are we going to play? Like, what jokes are you going to make? Those kinds of things where I can just see that I'm a source of maybe light for them or just something, something new, something fresh where like, you know, when you're six, seven years old, you usually don't have a lot of young adults in your life. It's like either little kids or adults. And so I like that I can be there as someone who's their friend and who's teaching them. This is a little bit of encouragement for parents to maybe connect their kids with some like younger adult tutors if the kid doesn't need like super serious help with school. I wrote my college essay about one of my two T's. So that's the impact that it's had on me and that I think it had on 
this this child. So just you know, for anyone out there listening, it, it's it was amazing, and it, it is amazing still now for me to tutor these kids and all that kind of stuff. So, can you tell us a little bit more about this essay? Like, tell us about the two T. I met her at the Boys and Girls Club near me, and she was I think she was like in first grade at the time, and just hated math. Just absolutely hated it. Her parents were forcing her to be at this club and do this math tutoring. And so, you know, at the beginning, it was a lot of like bribery kind of things like, oh, I'll give you a sticker if you do two questions, (laughs) that kind of stuff. Like I say, we made it. By the end of the first year and then, of course, by the end of the second year, she loved me. And so like she'd come in ready for math. But of course, like would want to like ask me these funny questions about my life. You know how little kids are. They just sort of ask you like, what's your favorite dinosaur? So, but it was just this great connection. And then where I really start my college essay is that we went on Zoom. And all of a sudden, like everything was just in the toilet. I don't have any kind of connection with her. She's just, it's a screen. Like it's, it's like I'm not even real for her. And I was like, well, can I swear? Yeah, you could totally swear. I was just like, well, shit. (laughs) Like, what am I going to do? This is sort of the second paragraph of my essay where I begin, I I got a little bit of like, you know, sticks and carrots, and I was just doing sticks. I was like, oh, I'm going to text your mom if you don't pay attention. I would like get annoyed at her because I I just had no idea what, what the heck I was supposed to do over a screen. It had been so difficult for me to help her in person. And now we're over screen. And so then my sort of, I don't know, realization in the essay that I talk about the the peak of this, this story that I write is that I recognized how, where, and like what was missing. And it was just our connection that in, in person, it's easy it's easy to connect with someone. They're right there. You see their face, you see their body language. You, you know, especially like in math tutoring, like I would like write on her paper. I'm right next to her. It's just this sort of like, it's a natural human connection. It's natural for us to connect with people when we are physically next to them and in the same space as them. And especially I will say like masks have been really detrimental to this when we can see their face. We can see the kind of faces they're making. We can see them talking. And so on Zoom, all of a sudden, like, we don't even have paper and pencil, let alone me sitting with her and, like, feeling the other human presence with us. And so that second half of my essay is where I sort of talk about how I just tried to be more compassionate and I tried to, like, get her to feel like Mia is still here. I'm not just your math tutor. Like, come on, we're not just doing math. I know that's what it feels like because it's over Zoom. So all we do is like I write math problems on the board. There's no laughing. There's no nothing. So I sort of like, and then I start, okay, okay. Talk about like, hey, hey, like let's talk about our day for five minutes. Like, how was your day? Now I do this with all my two T's. I always ask about their day. I always ask if they have anything funny to tell me because it just then, then you have a little bit of the human there. And so then they see like, okay, this isn't just some person that's going to say what's three minus one. It's like, that's a real human being, even though they're behind a screen and I can connect with them and then we can work together. 
Since you have this experience as a math tutor and now, you know, in person and then on Zoom, do you think that we could be as effective in educating virtually or do you think it's necessary to go back to in person? I think it depends on the situation. And unfortunately, I'm going to say the annoying thing, which is like, it's very case by case. Personally, for me, I'm, I was actually okay when we went on Zoom. I'm better in person, but I was okay when we went on Zoom. I didn't, my, like my academics didn't suffer. My social skills, not social skills, but my social connections did. And what I really missed was like connections with my teachers and sort of like the, again, the natural human, like little conversations and things we have when we're all together versus, mm. you know, behind a screen muted. Like even walking to a chair and you walk past someone and you say hi. Right, yeah. right. Um, so like, I will say that my senior year has been way better than my junior year simply because I am like, I mean, I don't know if my teachers would agree, but I'm like BFFs with like three of my teachers. Wait, are you back in-, in person or virtual? Yeah, I'm back in person. Okay. I'm back in person. Yeah. And so I think what I was going to say is that one-on-one, like me and my math um, two T's, it's actually, it's not bad. Like I I have a similar feeling to when I was in person a couple of years ago. It can, it's a little more like difficult just because, you know, I have this one girl who like starts typing on the computer because she like wants to go do other things. So like the, the factor of the computer screen is just a distractor. But other than that, she we she and I like have these great funny conversations and all these kinds of things. But I think like in a classroom setting, it's really difficult. It's it's really difficult when it's online because I just, I just like how are you supposed to connect? And then it's like all oh, breakout rooms. Nobody talks in breakout <laughs> rooms unless you have to. And so it's just, you know, so that's what I would say, like. It depends on the kid. I was okay online academically. Like I was learning sort of fine. (laughs) Um, But with the sort of human connection, one-on-one, it's all right. Or maybe like a small group in a classroom setting, it it sucks. It's bad. Unless, you know, the kids are really open with each other and know each other really well, which is usually not the case, especially if you start the school year online. It's like, what the heck? So... Yeah. I'm curious about building your community in STEM at school versus you needing to intentionally and proactively go find it. Is that community for you at school or is that something that you've had to strive for? I think in terms of just strictly classes, like scheduled classes on my schedule, especially my senior year, it's been really easy to get involved in certain STEM things because I have so many options to choose from. Like, you know, we have three years of English required, those kinds of things. But once you get to senior year, you have less requirements and more options. So for example, I'm taking three science classes. Like last year I took two and that was like the absolute maximum. So that's something that I've enjoyed is that I find more STEM kids, more people in tech and STEM and whatever, because I have this opportunity to get more into STEM or, you know, more into whatever else I might be interested in. The other thing is that we do have a lot of clubs and I'm going to say, which I'm a little sad with myself that I, I'm not part of any clubs at school. It's just never really been my jam, but you know, maybe if freshman year me had been different, it would be my jam, but we actually do have a lot of, there's a, um, STEM, STEM mentors, like STEM mentors club, 
which pretty much they do what I do, but they're affiliated with an elementary school. So I do think in some ways, like it's very much there, but it's just about me or, you know, whoever else going to be a part of it. Yeah. Like you have to, you have to make that conscious choice to say, I'm going to participate in that. Right. I think my logic was sort of, I'd rather, especially when I started tutoring, like it was actually great at the boys and girls club. It was a bunch of kids. I don't know if you know, or whoever's listening knows the Russian school of math. Uh Uh-uh. No. So it's, it's this, I mean, now they're huge, but it, it started, their headquarters are right near me, but it's basically sort of what it sounds like where they teach math the way that Russia teaches it, which is a totally different format than America. They go, they move much faster. It's part of the reason I had an easier time in school. And what has really attracted parents is it raises SAT scores. So they've gotten huge. They have tons of locations like all over the country now. And I suffered through that for 10 years. Um, I do say suffered accurately, but I'm really good at math. So, you know. So anyway, the Boys and Girls Club recruited kids from the Russian School of Math. So there, it was actually great. I had a total community. We would like talk about our two T's after sessions were done, all that kind of stuff. We were also all in a room together. Like that was great. I kind of forget where I was going with that. But anyway, that was a great community that I had of like STEM kids where they were pulling. It was interesting because I think because they were pulling from this one source, we all had a way to relate to each other. What's your day to day look like? Because like you, it seems like you take on um, like not not in the sense that you take on a lot, but you're very ambitious, like you, you're driven. So what does your day to day look like for for people who want to? go down the same path as you, what, what should they expect? So if I was still able to do this tutoring at the boys and girls club, which they're not doing it anymore because of COVID, but if I was still doing that, it would just be, it was only once a week for an hour every Thursday. So I'd walk there. It was 20 minutes away from my school. I'd walk there, be there for an hour and then I would get picked up. So, you know, let's just say like it's a Thursday I'm at school from now it's nine. So 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. I'm then immediately walking there, there for an hour, getting picked up, going home, you know, typical homework things. Obviously, I have to practice piano. I do that every day. But I will say that I've managed to keep my days spread out. So, like, for example, right now, I have on Tuesdays, I have two math kids, math two T's back to back. That's weird for me. Last year, I would have like one on this day, one on another day, one on another day. I never scheduled them like back to back or on the same day. So for if there are high schoolers here or like, I don't know, college students that are interested in sort of tutoring and that kind of thing, that's my recommendation is figure out how you can spread people out in time as much as possible. Ooh, how to spread people out and <laughs> yeah. a lot of people I have to work out. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that the older I get, the harder that kind of thing is going to be. But I'm grateful to myself that I've managed to do that. Now, honestly, the older that we get, the more important it is to become so intentional about how 
we invest our time and to whom we invest our time into. Like, I think it's something that we on default start to take for granted, especially in the digital age. And it's just really vital. We stay conscientious that our time is currency. Yeah, that was a good thing you said in the digital age, because that's something I would forget. I'd be like, oh, you know, it's on Zoom, so I can just put them like 530 and then six. And then at six and then at, you know, 559, I'd be like, we're not done. Like me and this kid are not we're not done with our tutoring. I need to do more. But then I have to jump and go to the next person. And then at 630 or 645 or whatever, I'm like, Jesus, why did I put them back to back? It doesn't matter that they're online. I'm giving them the same amount of energy. They're giving me the same amount of energy. And you're not allowing space for you to breathe. What is a great piece of advice that you've gotten? You've talked a lot about your mom. Something that kind of like rings for you over and over again as as you go through your journey. I know it's funny with me. It's from my mom too. It's every, every no is one step closer to a yes. Oh, I like that. I like that. There's a lot of no's in life. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of no's. That's nice. It's very encouraging and also, I think, very true. Uh, Mine, of course, again, from my mom, um, (laughs) it would be that you're a being, not a doing. Mm. So just in essence that like you are some kind of human being with some sort of personality and essence and vibe and whatever else you could call it to you. And the things you do, actually, it has no implications on your humanness. So like when I sort of, I don't know, I get all up in my head like, oh, I got a 65 on my bio test. I didn't. I got like an 80. But let's just say I got like a 65 on my bio test. And I'm like all all up in my head about it. And I'm sort of like, huh, like I thought I was smart, you know why did I do so badly? Like, I'm not supposed to do badly, blah, blah, like that whole string of thoughts. It sort of brings me slash whoever else back to sort of say, you, you not doing well has actually no effect nor reflection on the human being that you are. You're not less like your bad test grade or whatever bad or good thing it doesn't change who you might be. And so obviously that has sort of like little sort of side details like, well, you know, if you're, you can be a bad human being and that can like make you do bad things. You can be a good human that makes you do good things, but they are generally separated. That you doing one little wrong thing doesn't devalue your personality or your character or your essence as a human. And that also that your essence as a human being is way more important than the things that you're going and doing. I remember when I lost my company that was really important to me and my identity was integrated into my company. So when my company failed, I felt I failed as a human, that I wasn't worth anything. It took me a really long time. And I think it's still like a work in progress of separating uh, what we do from who we are, but it's, it's essential. Like we are not what we do period, but it feels as though we are. Right. Especially, you know, if you build a company, it, it's your whole life <laughs> for a period of time. So it can be really, you know, it can be really hard. And not that I totally understand that, but I get it. I like that you're working on it. And I, I've been working on it a lot too, because 
it, it can be so, so harmful to identify yourself with your actions. 100%. 100%. What is a book professional or personal that you recommend we read? Oh my goodness. Here we go. I am obsessed with Isabel Allende and Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And Natalie Kogan would just start crying of happiness if she heard me say this right now, because those are like her favorite authors. I love them so much. I think they, they, they're so they're magical realism authors and they just write so beautifully. So I would really recommend The House of Spirits by Isabel Allende. What is it about? It follows the story of this one family. It's really like cool, like written in a really cool way because you go through generations of the family without realizing it. So you start with like what ends up being the grandma and then her daughter is born and then eventually you're following her daughter and then the daughter's daughter. And so it's it's, it's written in a really cool way, um, but it's just sort of generally I would just kind of say it's a story about life and this family and obviously magical realism. So it's got these sort of fun little tidbits of things that aren't really realistic, but in the story it fits and it works and it's, it's just, it's cool and it's interesting. And she writes so beautifully, I think. That's awesome. And how about one of my fave questions to ask is a favorite website or mobile app that's your go-to? Oh, do you play Wordle? Oh my gosh, let's talk about Wordle. <laughs> oh, I don't, I love but Wordle. I do. I just played Wordle for the first time. I'm like, wait, I could only do one. I want to do another. Search up Wordle archives. Go to Wordle archives. There's some the for whatever first link comes up. Some guy compiled all all the like, Wordles from the very first Wordle to the most recent one, and I've just been going through from the first one. And just, I keep going. It's because there's like 220 of them. So I'm on like the 30th one right now. So go, go and look up Wordle archives and go to this site and you can just go through all of them. And I, it's so fun. If you're one of the few people that hasn't somehow heard of it, because everyone's talking about it for some reason, um, Wordle is basically this, this guy, actually, I think he's an engineer, designed it for his wife. So she could like play a little fun game with words. I, I don't know the whole backstory. My dad knows he's obsessed with Wordle too. But um, he designed this game where you essentially have, it's it's a five, you, you're trying to guess a word, guess a five letter word, and you have six tries. And so, you know, you like as your first word, I always put smart, for example, and it'll, I'll put in that word and I click enter and the letters will be colored based on their placement or not placement in the word. So if it's gray, it means it's not in the word. If it's yellow, it is, but in the wrong place. And if it's green, I have it in the right place. And so then from there, you can like keep guessing. And, you know, usually eventually you can figure it out based on your guesses and where it tells you the letters are or are not. It's just, there's something really calming and... Yeah, just coming and fun about it. It's it's awesome. So I I was off social media for um for two months. I just got back on a day and a half ago. One of the first things I discovered when I got back on was Wordle. I'm like, what is this Wordle thing? <laughs> and so I Googled it. I'm like, what's this weird URL? <laughs> like, am I on the right one? <laughs> like, 
And I was. It's it's so much fun, this game. Yeah, it's a very inspiring story. This guy created Wordle, I believe, because I, I've been reading up on it now. I believe he created it in October uh, 2021, something like that. Don't, don't mark it in stone. And then... It had like, he had like, it was like uh, Mia said, just for his girlfriend, had like 90 people using it after a month, after, um, or after a few weeks or a month or something. After like a month or two months, it was 30,000 people. And then it was like a million people. I don't know, like uh, outrageous numbers. And then the New York Times just acquired it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that piece, which I'm worried they're going to, they're going to make it that you have to have a New York Times subscription. Yeah. But uh, hopefully not. (laughs) And this is just like what? Like four months? Like the guy builds it for his girlfriend and four months later he... And the acquisition was something like low seven figures is what they said. Yeah. Crazy. It's like the dream. You know, my favorite part of the story was, okay, there's a Wordle app that's not related to Wordle that we're talking about. So... Because he has such a funky URL, because it was never intended to be this big thing, people were going to the Wordle app. Like, Wordle doesn't have an app. So people were going to the Wordle app and purchasing the app. And the Wordle app developer was like, why am I getting these random purchases all of a sudden? So when he figured out what was going on, this app developer, he contacted the engineer behind Wordle and offered to give him the money that he wow. got from the app sales. And then that that guy said, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. So then them, they both together decided to contribute all that money to charity. Wow, that is what my mom, she would say, that is an example of an awesome human or two awesome humans. Yes, yes. Like, I think that that kind of story is so rare and I wish it was the norm like how much integrity of both of these people (laughs) like it's incredible I couldn't even believe I was reading that but anyway it was very exciting thank you so much for hanging out with the women in tech podcast how can people connect with you my Instagram account is private are they able to see my Instagram handle on here yeah well we could put it in the show notes yeah if you you could share it yeah so it's m-i-a-k-o-g-a-n S-P-I-V-A-C-K. So that would be my Instagram. And then my LinkedIn is just, if you spell that out, you can find me on LinkedIn because it's just my full name. I have Facebook, but don't connect with me on Facebook. I don't like Facebook. So (laughs) just Instagram or LinkedIn. um, And you can type in that, my Instagram handle at gmail.com if you want to send me an email for whatever reason. Thank you so much, Mia, for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more incredible women around the world. Remember, go to the community at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. I will see you, talk to you, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Mia Kogan-Spivak, senior in high school that hopes to study neuroscience and hopefully become a doctor, maybe a pediatrician, just outside of Boston, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. 
Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.